Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. Well, listen, have you ever seen uh, someone's relationship status on social media and instead of it saying, you know, married or single or whatever, it says, it's complicated. Have y'all seen that? It's complicated. You ever met a friend or a family member of a person that you've been close to for a long time and you say, why haven't I met this person before? Like, they seem so nice. Why don't you ever talk about that person? And they say, yeah, it's complicated, right? Or maybe somebody finds out about a job that you had at one point or a church that you went to or some organizations you've been a part of and they say, you've never mentioned that before. Why don't you talk about that? And you say, eh, it's complicated. It's complicated. Guess what the title of the message is today? It's complicated. Now, the message is not complicated, but the subject is complicated. Um, The longer I live, the more I realize that a lot of things in life are complicated. Can somebody say amen to that? I mean, things seemed so simple when I was young. When I was like, you know, 20, it seemed like life was going to be a breeze. It, uh, people, like grown people, had made way too big of a deal about this thing. Life was not that big of a thing. Life's going to be full of good stuff. Every once in a while, maybe there'll be some bad things that happen. You know, I'm, I'm going to have good, great relationships with wonderful people, and, and, and I will learn to avoid the people who are going to bring me pain. I'm going to be real careful about the decisions that I make and about the people that I choose to be around uh, so that I don't have to get hurt and I don't have to get disappointed. Because as an adult, it's going to be really easy to tell when, where the danger is and where the pain's going to come from, and I'm just going to avoid that. Did y'all remember having kind of that conversation in yourself? I don't know exactly when the realization comes, what age it is. It's a little earlier for some and a little later for others. I'm guessing sometime in your 30s, you realize not everything and everyone is going to fit neatly in your categories of good stuff and bad stuff, of good relationships and bad relationships, of good experiences and bad experiences, maybe even good people and bad people. And it's, when you find that out, it's disappointing. It's confusing. It's frustrating. But the longer you live, the more you realize there are a whole lot of things about which you just have to say, it's complicated. It's complicated. And here's the thing. We know how to celebrate the good things and the wonderful people that are in our lives, don't we? Because we, that, that's easy. And we know how to mourn those things and those people when we lose them. And we know the relief that we feel when we can put some distance between us and some bad situations or even a a person that wasn't so positive in our lives. What I'm not sure anybody taught me in adult school. Did y'all get to go to adult school? It must have been expensive. I couldn't have, I couldn't afford it. I didn't get to go to adult school, but nobody told me how to handle the complicated things. 
Like, how are you supposed to feel when a person or a situation or an opportunity falls into more than one category in your life? (laughs) You know what else is complicated? You know what else they didn't teach me in adult school? How to grieve. How you do that? How How do you work through the pain of something that you lose? And those of you that are like 25 are thinking, man, that's just kind of a weird subject. I'm telling you, there's going to be losses in your life. And you're going to have to learn how to, you got to know what to do with that mess. It is absolutely necessary to grieve and to mourn. How, where, when do we teach people that? Especially in this country. That, it's even further complicated when the losses don't fall into the easy categories. Because it's pretty natural to grieve the loss of somebody who was never nothing but good to you. Right? And it's pretty natural to embrace the relief that you feel when when you no longer have to deal with something or someone that was never anything but nasty to you. But how do you grieve the loss of something or someone that was a little bit of both? How do you deal, how do you grieve the loss of something that you expected would come your way, but it was denied to you? It's complicated. Now, I hadn't forgotten the scripture. We're going to get there. But I, what I don't want us to do is to brush this off as a, just, a, just a, something that's occasionally going to arise in our lives and have sort of minimal impact. I'm telling you, the longer you live, the more important this becomes in your life. And it has far-reaching implications, way more than you think, than you think at just looking, scratching the surface. Okay, So we're, I, I just want to kind of paint this picture and define the scope of the problem, and then we're going to turn to the Word and find the solution. Okay, Listen, grief is not just what weak people do. It is a necessary part of every healthy person's life. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes, which most of us learned from the mamas and the papas, the book of Ecclesiastes said there, there's a time for everything, right? And one of the things there's a time for, he says there's a time to mourn. There's a time to mourn. It says there's a time to cry. But too many of us have not given ourselves the opportunity to do that. You say, well, I'm in ministry, and you know, I've learned. Listen, uh, you know what? I heard a great definition of ministry. They said, ministry is a series of ungrieved losses. So I don't care who you are, what you've done. I don't care what your title or anointing is. You've got to learn how to grieve. You've got to learn how to grieve. And we don't just have to mourn uh, the, the, the people that we lose, but we have to mourn the other ex- losses that we experience. And we're going to talk about those over the next few minutes. So here's what happens when you don't grieve properly. This is what happens when you don't grieve properly. The grief turns to anger. It turns to anger. Sometimes it, it turns outward and it becomes what we call rage. And we all know that person, those people in our lives who just seem like they wake up ticked off. Like they're just a bomb with no fuse waiting to go off. And they explode about everything. Then sometimes the anger gets turned inside and it becomes depression. But there is a third, maybe even a more dangerous option that many more of us experience. Sometimes we just put a lid on the anger. 
We just put a lid on it and let it simmer. And it becomes bitterness when you do that. Now, this is a, this is a brand new, very unofficial definition, but, but I think this is going to resonate with some people. It did with me. Bitterness, bitterness is low-key anger. Y'all think about that for a second. Bitterness is really just low-key anger. Like, you're not a stark-raving, angry lunatic, probably, screaming and yelling at everybody. You ain't going to grab a gun and go shoot 27 people. Or, or maybe you're not the, the self-isolating, um, depressed person that's inverted their anger. It's just that every time you think about that person, or you try to think about the good times that you had with that person, and the wonderful qualities that they may have possessed, you very quickly remember the hurtful, devastating thing or things that happened. And you start to feel that anger rise again. Not boiling over, just simmering with a lid on it. Every once in a while, there's a little, almost invisible wisp of steam that gets released from time to time. Bitterness is low-key anger. But it's deadly. It's deadly. Now, here's something the Lord told me a few weeks ago. Um, and, and I really thought it was just for me because it was something personal, intensely personal for me. But eventually I sensed that it was something that he wanted me to share with you. Um, I was thinking about one of my complicated relationships in my life, and I have more than one, so don't strain yourself trying to figure out who I'm talking about. Okay? <laughs> y'all know y'all do that. Um, thinking about one of the complicated relationships that I've had in my life, and wondering why I had not really been able to grieve, why I had not been able to mourn that loss. And the Holy Spirit said, really kind of out of the blue, and that's when you really know it's, it's Him. He said, um, you're too mad to mourn. You're too mad to mourn. And my first reaction was to defend myself against such a, a heinous accusation. And I said, no, I... I'm, I forgave that years ago. Like, I'm not, I, I ain't mad about all of that. We, we've had lots of good times since then. But I am also smart enough to know that God doesn't argue and he doesn't lie. He just speaks the truth and walks away and leaves you to wrestle with it. So I can tell you today after having lost the wrestling match that God's right. I'm too mad to mourn. And knowing how God works in the life of a pastor, I, I am very certain that a lot of you, maybe most of you, are also too mad to mourn about something in your life. That low-key anger about something that's happened to you in your past. And you swear you've put it to bed. But it's still there. Maybe it's in one of the complicated relationships that you have. Some of you are mad about a missed opportunity. Like you had that chance when you were whatever age that was, and you, you missed it. Some of you are still bitter about a promotion that went to somebody else who was less qualified than you, and you believe that your life has taken a different, a different direction than it would have. Some of you are bitter about a proposal 
that was offered to you and it freaked you out. And by the time you decided to accept the proposal, it was no longer on the table. Some of you are bitter about an opportunity that you missed because you were the wrong gender or the wrong race or the wrong size or from the wrong side of the tracks. I talked to a lady this week. It was really as this was sort of coming together and I knew this was the direction I needed to go. This lady came to me and she was telling me how mad she was at her daughter-in-law who was keeping her son and her grandchildren from her. And the Holy Spirit really quickened me and I said, Ma'am, you're not really mad at your daughter-in-law. You just haven't grieved the loss of the relationship that you expected to have with your son. You haven't grieved the, the, the betrayal that you feel because your son hasn't stood up for the relationship. You haven't grieved the pain of missing what you're now believing you'll never have. You're not mad at her. And I said, and if truth be told, she's grieving, she's not grieving the loss of something in her life. And she said, she's got a bad relationship with her own parents. I said, well, there you go. Ungrieved losses. Some of, some of you are still bitter, you're still mad about a wonderful church experience that you had. But someone came along and blew the thing up. And now you've lost those friends You've lost your relationships. You've lost the, the sense of what you felt like God was about to do in that place before it exploded. Some of you are mad about what the virus stole from you. The weddings, the funerals, the parties, the family gatherings. You're grateful you didn't get sick, but you're still mad. You're still low-key angry about the stuff that you will never get back. And some of you are mad at God. Not openly mad at God, not like Lieutenant Dan standing sitting on top of the mast on that ship screaming and yelling. You're low-key, you're like religious mad at God. The why questions are haunting you. Why did my loved one die after we stood in faith, prayed, believing he'd be healed? Why was I treated like that? If God is so good... How come my life's been so stinking miserable? You understand what I'm saying? It's complicated. It's complicated. Not every relationship, not every experience is entirely good or entirely bad. That'd be way too simple. You have to eventually come to terms with the damage that may have been done by, by someone before you can truly mourn the loss of the good things that you're missing about them. The things that you loved about the person are wrapped in and hidden by the things you hated. You can't just ignore the negative stuff. You have to deal with that first before you're, you're able, able really truly to mourn the loss of the good things. Now let me say this, and then I want to give you an illustration that I think, you'll, I think it'll make some sense. But let me say this first. You can't mourn what they meant to you until you forgive what they did to you. You can't mourn what they meant to you until you forgive what they did to you. Now, here's the illustration. Lemon heads. Y'all ever had those things? Little, little nasty lemon heads candy. Um, why in the world did y'all eat them things? They, it, it, you have to really want candy bad. 
to eat those things because they are so sour. They're so bitter. Now, a lot of people just can't get through the bitter to get to the sweet because it is naturally repulsive. Like you put that thing in your mouth and, and your body goes, not today. Not today, Satan. Right? If you look on the back of the box, it says it was manufactured in hell is what it says. It came straight from the devil. I'd actually rather watch you eat it than me eat it. Because it is its own form of entertainment, isn't it? Because the convulsions that your face goes through while you're trying to eat, you make the most ridiculous faces all the while swearing you love it. Oh, it's great. It ain't great. Look at your face, man. You need medicine. It's entertaining for us, but it takes discipline for a person to push through the bitter to get to the payoff that's supposedly on the inside. We don't grieve the complicated things in our lives because the good stuff about that person or about that experience or about that relationship is wrapped up in the bitterness. We desperately want to taste the sweet. We desperately want to remember the good stuff. But all we get is the bitter, sour taste of this low-key anger that we got about what was done to us or what was taken from us. And we instinctively turn away. We instinctively spit out the grieving process because it's hard and it's revolting. Because it takes us back to a place that we've spent years trying to get away from in our brains. It brings back the anger, the betrayal, the abandonment, the abuse, the disappointment, the loss. All the stuff that we've been fighting so long to forget. But it does not go away on its own. It has to be faced and forced out. Why? Like, John, why in the world are you bringing this kind of mess up? We could, you could do like love, joy, peace kind of message and we'd all go home happy. Well, here's the problem. You can be happy for a little while, but, but here's why I'm bringing this up. This is why you have to force it out and face it. Because number one, grieving is essential. There is a time to mourn. You have to mourn. Two, because your mental health and even your physical well-being is at stake. You cannot keep the lid on the pot forever. And here's the third thing, and, while we're, and one of the main reasons why we're addressing it from the pulpit because it has incredibly negative spiritual consequences if you don't deal with it. And I want to show you that now in Ephesians 4, verse 30. Ephesians 4, verse 30. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. That's a sobering thought. That something we can do can bring sorrow to or grieve the Holy Spirit. Remember... He has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you'll be saved on the day of redemption. Remember that every person who's, who belongs to Christ has the Spirit of Christ. Now, verse 31, what are we supposed to do about this? Get rid of all the bitterness, the rage, the anger, the harsh words, and the slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as Christ, uh, God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Other translations say, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Right? Do you know that we have a choice to make? 
We have a choice to make. We can either grieve our losses or we can grieve the Holy Spirit. It's really that simple. Because if you don't do one, you will do the other. And listen, let me pastor you for a second. We have a lot of people who have a hard time with the Holy Spirit in this Pentecostal church. And it's not that we don't believe, okay? It's not that our doctrine or our theology is wrong. It's not that our hearts are wrong towards Him. We get it. We understand it. We believe it. It's just that we can't seem to surrender to Him completely. That we get to a certain point in our services, we get to a certain point in our worship, in our obedience to Him, and we hit this wall. We don't always walk in this constant awareness of His nearness to us, or His love for us, or His power through us. We don't walk in the fruit of the Spirit. We don't operate in the gifts of the Spirit. We don't walk in the fellowship of the Spirit. And it has baffled me and frustrated me for a long time. But I believe this is why. If not the entire reason, this is a huge part of why. Our relationship is hindered because we've grieved the Holy Spirit by our ungrieved losses. Our ungrieved losses. Remember, it sets sets it up. You can either grieve... And get rid of the bitterness and the rage and the anger, or you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You say, John, listen, that sounds like a leap. I'm not sure those things connect. Well, why do you think this has anything to do with what we've experienced in our past? Well, look, about, look at what it says to do about grieving the Holy Spirit. It says, don't bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. But remember that you belong to Christ, is what it says next. And then it says, and get rid of what? Bitterness. Anger, rage, slander, harsh words. And then it says, forgive one another. Well, you can't pre-forgive somebody. They have to have done it before you can forgive it. We grieve the Holy Spirit. We diminish the freedom that He gives us and His ability to move in our lives when we have not forgiven the things that have happened to us in our past. The bitterness and all the other stuff comes from this low-key anger that develops when we don't deal with the things that have happened to us in our lives. So, John, how can I tell? How do I know when, when somebody's bitter? Actually, you know real quick when somebody else is bitter, we don't always recognize it in ourselves. But how do you know? Harsh words, right? Slander. All you have to do is bring up the person's name and listen to what comes out their mouths next. Just mention the church. (laughs) Mention the organization. Mention that situation and watch their face change. Watch, Watch their teeth clench. Listen to their tone sharpen. It is eating them alive from the inside out. The bitterness eventually takes up all the space that you had in your heart for the Holy Spirit to fill. Here's the truth. You can't be spirit-filled and filled with bitterness at the same time. You can't be low-key mad and walk in love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, 
the fruits of the Spirit. You can't operate in the gifts of the Spirit when, you're, when you've got this bitterness in your heart. Why? Because 1 Corinthians 13 says gifts of the Spirit are to be operated in love. And according to Jesus, your love grows cold when you are offended and don't deal with it. Is this making sense? You say, listen, John, you just need to like, get out of my face and get out of my business and get out of my life and get out of my driveway, like back that thing right on up out of there. Well, here's the problem. Bitterness is not just a personal thing. Bitterness is affecting your relationship with God. And your relationship with God affects every other member of the body of Christ. Your, your, your bitterness is affecting the atmosphere of worship in this church. Your bitterness, my bitterness, I'm not, I'm not isolating, my, separating myself, but bitterness affects the way you receive the word or don't. Bitterness affects the way you and other people will experience his presence and his power when they come to this church looking for help and answers. So what do we do? Well, it tells us in Ephesians, get rid of that stuff. Get rid of that stuff. How? Forgive them. You say, okay, just hang on. You don't know what they did. You don't know how badly they hurt me. You don't, they, they blew up my family. They blew up my church. They, they wrecked my childhood. They stole my innocence. They caused me constant turmoil and great grief. And listen, I get it. I understand. I've got those people in my life. I've had those situations in my life too. But we have to forgive them. Why? It tells us right there in that verse, because Jesus forgave us. Remember, Ephesians, that verse says, get rid of it, remembering that you belong to Christ. What we have freely received, we have to freely give. You say, but John, it's hard. Listen, I know it's hard, but it's worth it. It's worth it on the other side. Listen, isn't life hard now? Isn't it hard now? What we're talking about is going through the difficulty of getting it out once and for all so that you don't have the difficulty of dragging that ball and chain around for the rest of your life. You say, John, they don't deserve it. I know they don't deserve it, but we didn't deserve forgiveness either. You say, but I, I haven't hurt people the way they've hurt me. Don't be so sure about that. And besides, Romans says, the book of Romans says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That none of us is righteous, not even one. That all of our righteousness is as filthy rags, it says. It is a dangerous thing to depend on how good we are compared to how bad somebody else is. You say, well, John, I'd never treat people that way. I would never do what he did. I would never make that decision. Is that right? Or is it maybe that you're scared to death that given the right circumstances, you do exactly what they did? You say, okay, John, listen. I, I never thought about it like this, but if bitterness is low-key anger, then bitterness is about to eat me alive. I want to forgive 
but I don't know if I can. So let me give you some good news. You're like, well, finally, some good news. Here's the good news. You can. You absolutely can. And it has nothing to do with how you feel about it. Let me show it to you. Exodus chapter 15. Exodus 15. Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea, and they moved out into the desert of Shur. They traveled in this desert for three days without finding any water. When they came to the oasis of Marah, the water was too bitter to drink. So they called the place Marah, which means bitter. And then the people complained and turned against Moses. What are we going to drink, they demanded. Now pay particular attention to verse 25, the first half of the verse. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help. The Lord showed him a piece of wood. Moses threw it into the water. This made the water good to drink. The, the, the last half of that verse transitions into a different part of the account. So we're going to stop there. All right? Um, I want you to see verse 25 in the Amplified Bible. I want you to see what it says there. He cried out to the Lord. The Lord showed him a tree. The Lord showed him a tree. A branch of which he cast into the water. And the waters were made sweet. Listen, the bitter water, you're like, John, that happened 3,500 years ago. What difference does it make that they found a well, they found a pond that was nasty? What does that have to do with anything? Well, the bitter waters at Mara were healed by a tree. Remember, Ephesians says, you belong to Christ. Well, what does that have to do with bitterness in a tree? The bitter waters of our souls were also healed by a tree. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a tree. The cross that Jesus died on healed the bitter waters of our souls. And if we'll accept his provision of healing, he will heal the fountain of our lives too. He can turn the bitterness of our souls into sweet water again. You don't, have, you don't have to continually be a fountain of bitterness in your life. You don't have to stay mad all the time. That kind of anger is emotionally exhausting and spiritually draining. If we'll let Jesus do the work, and he's already done it, he's already accomplished it. If we'll just let him do it, he'll heal the bitter waters of our soul. And not only that, he promised to do one better. Not just heal the water. He said if we'll get rid of the bitterness and we'll get rid of the anger, we'll get in, we will be in right relationship with the Holy Spirit because we'll no longer be grieving him. And what happens when you're in right relationship with the Holy Spirit? Jesus said, out of your bellies, what will happen? Will flow rivers of living water. Not bitter water, living water. So no, no more spiritual numbness. No more just showing up to church and just checking the box off, trying to just be faithful even when you don't get anything out of it. No more low-key anger. No more harsh words and slander. No more too mad to mourn. You can push through the bitterness of the bad parts so that you can actually grieve and appreciate the good stuff that's happened to you. You can finally find peace. You can finally feel joy. You can finally give love. 
no holding back, no self-defense, no walls of protection, and you can finally give yourself fully to the Lord in worship and in serving and in, a, in obedience and in fellowship. The abundant life that we talked about on Easter that Jesus died for has already been provided for us on the cross. We just have to throw that tree into the bitterness of our souls. So, well, John, that's very poetic of you. Thank you very much. I don't know what that means. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that. Well, I'd like to tell you. And if you're a note-taking kind of person, or if you, have, if you know you're already dealing with the bitterness of your soul, then please write this down or get, take out your phone again and put it in your notes because I'm going to give you a, a process. I'm going to give you a process to walk through, and, and it will not be the last time you need it. Because life will continually offer the opportunity to be bitter. So here we go. Here's the first thing you remember. Remember. You cannot deal with it until you remember it. You have to go back there in your mind. And I know it's bitter. And I know it's hard. But there is a sweet ending if you will be disciplined enough to get there. Go back in your mind. Remember what they did, remember what happened, remember what it, how it felt. Here's the second step. Then you release the person. Release them. John, what do you mean release them? You have put that person in jail in your soul. The problem is that um, you have jailed yourself along with them. Isn't that ironic? You wind up in the same cell with the person that you hate the most. And it's the jail cell inside of yourself. Here's the other irony. They may not even know how it's affected you. They may not even know that you've been angry with them for 26 years. Right? People hold, That sounds crazy, but people hold on to stuff that long. Like you get mad at somebody in middle school, and then you teach your kids to hate their kids. Right? I mean, it's, generationally speaking, it's, it's crazy. They, they may not even know what they did or said that has affected you in such profound ways for all these years. We always assume people know. They don't always know. And here's another kicker to this. The person that you're upset with may not even still be on this earth. But you've still got them in jail. They're still in the jail of your heart. So releasing them is really releasing yourself. It's not releasing them of, of accountability because God is their judge. God is the one who's going to hold them accountable. If they've done something wrong, God's going to take care of it, right? He's the one that handles that. But you have to release them from your internal justice system because you're not their judge. So you say something like this. You say it with your mouth. You probably need to say it out loud. So this is not one of those things that you're going to like in the middle of Walmart, you're just going to start doing this. You need to go somewhere by yourself. And you need to say this out loud. I forgive, and then whoever that person's name is. I forgive that person for, and then name what they did to you. And you can yell it, scream it, you say whatever, what, however it comes out. You say everything that's been building up inside of you for all these years. Say it right there in the midst of forgiving them for it. You have to name it. You have to own it before you can disown it. You have to name it before you can get rid of it. Don't worry about it if you don't feel very forgivey. 
which ain't even a word. Don't worry about it if you don't, if your emotions towards the person or the situation haven't changed. You have to do right before it feels right. Your feelings will catch up eventually. And if it keeps coming back, then you just keep forgiving. You do it again and again and again. That's the second part you release. Here's the third part, repent. You repent for your sin. You repent for allowing the bitterness to grow inside of you. You repent for the things that you've said and done towards them. You confess that you were wrong in the way that you talked about or treated that person. You repent. So why shouldn't I repent first? Because the Bible says until you have forgiven others, you don't get forgiveness. All right? So here's the fourth thing. Then you renounce. You renounce or you revoke. You renounce the words that you spoke to them. I don't know of a single person who has bitterness in their heart that didn't allow the bitterness to spill out their tongues. So you renounce the words that you spoke against them. Because those, our words are what the, those negative words, bitter words, are what the Bible calls vows or curses. And you have to break those things. You put them into, you brought them into reality, you got to break them. So you say something like, I repent of every harsh word, slander, vow, or curse I've spoken about this person or this situation or this organization. I revoke every curse that I've ever spoken. I, I renounce every negative thing I've ever said. You need to say that because it was your mouth that brought it into existence. It needs to be your mouth that cancels it. You say, John, listen, I can't help what I feel. Listen, I ain't talking about how you feel. I didn't say repent of the feeling. Feelings are automatic. Words are choices. So you repent of the things that you decided to say about that person or over that person or about that person to people who weren't even involved and really didn't even need to know. And then here's the hard part. You're like, what? That's the, I haven't had the hard part yet? No, here's the hard part. Bless them. Bless them. You've got to remember. You've got to release, repent, and renounce. Then you have to bless them. You say, now, you just hold on right there. I already repented from talking about them. I already released them from my life. Now you're telling me I have to bless them? Because they knew exactly what they were doing when they did it. And they did it anyway. Maybe they don't deserve my punishment, but they sure don't deserve my blessing. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. This is in the New King, New King James. Jesus said, I say to you, love your enemies. Bless them. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. Listen, I'm not telling you this. Jesus is telling us this. The only way to rid yourself of the poison of bitterness is the antidote of blessing. Let me put it this way. Blessing bans bitterness. Blessing bans bitterness. You can't be bitter at a person that you're trying to bless. Even if they did it despitefully, intentionally, fully understanding the consequences, Jesus said we have to pray for them, not just about them. That we bless them and do good to them. We have to remember. We have to release. We have to repent. We have to renounce. And then we have to bless. 
Life's complicated. Bitterness is really easy to fall into. The solution is difficult, but it's not complicated. Push through the bitterness of the process so you can get to the sweetness that waits on the other side of it. It's a process that you're going to have to use over and over again because life is going to continue to give you reasons to get upset, reasons to get offended, reasons to get bitter. Life, life will not get less complicated. Relationships will not get more clear. And so it's important for us to learn this process. Learn it together. Because remember, this, this started with something that the Lord's dealing with me about. And so I'm on this journey with you. I'm going to walk this road with you. But you're never going to get to the freedom that's on the other side until you get on the road and determine that you're going to be disciplined enough to push through the pain, push through the difficulty. Because listen, you're already in pain. You're already in pain. It's probably time just to yank the Band-Aid off, get the infection out because it's affecting all the other parts of your body. Y'all stand with me if you don't mind. I appreciate you um, allowing me to preach these kinds of messages. I'm assuming this is not going to be my last Sunday. We'll find out later, I guess. Um, this is grown folk stuff, man. This, I mean, we can keep feeding each other sugar, giving ourselves a spiritual sugar high every Sunday. But eventually you've got to deal with the reality that's in your mirror every day. This is real life. Um, and I'm so grateful to serve a God who deals with real life and gives us solutions. So here's what I want you to do. We're going to pray as we always do. We're going to pray. The altar is always open anyway, but I'm going to invite you to come. And you can come while I pray. You can come right now for that matter. But listen, there's lots of little corners in this church. we got corners everywhere. So if you want to go and start doing business with God right now, let's do it right now. Okay? Go find yourself a corner. Ain't nothing magical about these, these steps right here. Turn around and kneel at your chair. You do whatever you need to do. But you have to start somewhere. So if you just want to, here's what I've had to do in my life sometimes. Sometimes I've had to just walk the aisle and go down the altar and say, God, I'm just letting you know we're going to deal with this. We ain't going to deal with this right now because this is about to be ugly, but we're going to deal with this and I'm just making the commitment right here publicly that I'm going to deal with this. Sometimes you do have to make a public commitment to God to hold yourself accountable. As, as much as anything, that's what the altar is for. But if you want to come and start dealing with this now, if you want to come and pray for strength to deal with it, whatever it is the Lord draws you to, do that. But please hear me. This is the last thing I'm going to say. We're going to pray. This is not a, a this is not witchcraft. Okay, this is not a spell. It's not an incantation. You don't have to memorize anything that I say. Here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to give you practical steps to help you move down the road towards freedom and healing. The most important thing is for you to get on the road. 
and submit yourself to the Holy Spirit. And the Lord will walk you down the road, arm in arm. Okay? So, if He takes you in a different direction, go with God wherever He takes you. But just go. Let's pray. Father, I pray, Lord, for the humility to hear what you're saying to us today. The honesty to admit that perhaps we have some things to deal with and the courage to do it. I pray for strength for every person. I pray for strength for myself as we start on this road or maybe even continue on a road that we've already started. Help us. Help us. Help us to learn how to grieve. Help us to know how to mourn. Help us, Lord, to learn to appreciate the good things about a person who's complicated, the good things about a situation that didn't turn out the way we expected them to. Help us, Lord, because we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit in our lives. We, we're, we're tired. God, we're tired of trying to do things on our own when we know that our power and our strength comes from you, but we've offended you you, brought sorrow and grief to your heart. We don't want to do that anymore. Lord, give us the strength and the courage to push forward through the pain, get past the bitter, and enjoy the sweet. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.